Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me is Joe Kilkelly, CEO of Care Partners Management Group. Care Partners Senior Living was established in 1998 and is a Western Washington located and owned management company exclusive serving its commonly owned senior care communities. They operate 15 communities from Lacey to Marysville in Western Washington and Spokane in Eastern Washington. They concentrate on communities in geographically close locations to be extremely responsive to the needs of their communities and residents. Locally focused and close communities means connecting to residents and families in a meaningful and personal way. Joe Kilkelly is with us today because he says 12,000 seniors will lose Medicaid living and care benefits if the Department of Social and Health Services proposed budget for the 2021 through 23 biennium is adopted. That's 12,000. Because of this, Joe Kilkelly is on the show with us. And Joe, welcome, first of all. I'm so glad to have you here to talk about this. Let's just jump right in with what is the alarm? The alarming thing that just occurred was the start of the budget development process. DSHS, the Department of Social and Health Services, has made a proposal to the Office of Financial Management, they are going to, they're proposing to cut the eligibility for Medicaid eligible residents receiving housing and care services and living services in nursing homes, assisted living facilities, adult family homes, home health care, and in-home reimbursement. This 38% reduction the proposal for for my world in assisted living, I'm an assisted living provider, is a proposed reduction of 38% of the eligibility. However, that sounds on its own, that sounds startling, but mm-hmm. on, what it really represents is probably something in the order of 90 to 95% of the eligible Medicaid residents receiving care, housing and care in assisted living fall within that 38% eligibility cut. They would have you believe if you didn't know any better, since they have 17 reimbursement levels where people are eligible fall kind of falls evenly across those 17 levels when in fact, probably about 90% are in the four lowest Mm. uh, reimbursement levels. 38% basically it would make all the residents that we have in every one of our buildings ineligible. Really? And we, I don't think we are much different than other providers like us that have Medicaid contracts. Now, has this already happened, the eligibility cut, or is it something that's going to happen? Proposal for the, for the, uh, the budget for the 2021 to 2023 biennium budget. So the state produces a two-year budget on every odd year. This is a process that starts with each agency, goes through the Office of Financial Management. The governor comes up with his own budget roughly in December. The legislature starts working on their budget February, March, April. Somehow they reconcile all together and in time to have a new budget effective July 1st of 2021. So these eligibility cuts, if they were to happen, would happen in July of 2021, which isn't very far away in in the way things work. It was alarming. You said there would be 12,000 seniors misplaced? By their own estimates that I have seen in their proposal for this budget process, 
they believe 12,000 seniors that currently receive benefits would become uh, ineligible effective July 1st of 2021. When we look at that, that's alarming on its face. Oh, yes. But the reality of that is because these folks are not business people, is that if they made those cuts, a far bigger cascading effect on the assisted living industry, on the nursing home industry, on the adult family home industry. And by that, I mean, if you take out 20, 30 or 40 percent of the eligible people that we serve, we're not going to be able to stay open to serve whoever they think is left. I don't think they're factoring in that. And I think the number would be much, much higher. Ultimately, Mm. I think it would devastate a number of senior care industries that I've mentioned. It would have a uh, continual effect because we all know the number of uh, individuals that are reaching the age of 80 is growing and will continue to grow through the, uh, the 2020s into the 2030s. And so there'll be more people needing services than ever. And those people will also be ineligible. So over a period of 10 years, this, this number could be 50,000 people. Oh. It is startling that yes. in any agency whose mission is to protect the poor and the uh, vulnerable adults, the elderly, would propose such a thing. And most particularly, right in the middle of the COVID pandemic that we're told that is not over yet. We're told there may be a second wave. And uh, we've had to lock down our seniors, which has been extraordinarily tough on them, Um, continues to be tough. We've never seen levels of depression uh, that has occurred from isolation ever in, in the history of my being in this business when I've been in this business for 25 years uh, than we see now. And many of these people that are on Medicaid would be thrown out on the streets mm. if this proposal were to be enacted. That And what hit me was when you said in, in the letter I read, you said, here's the people we've been trying to protect and now you're going to put them out on the streets. Yeah, I mean, we've been told and lectured constantly that there's no cost too great in this uh, COVID fight, which has been devastating, as you know, to the average individual. And we've been told that that's worth it, not only to protect any one life, but in particular to protect the most vulnerable. And we know that COVID hits the elderly that have medical conditions much, much deeper and, and harder than it hits any other age group. And we've been told that no sacrifice is too great for any one of those senior members. And yet, a proposal to send 12,000 out without services and without a place to live is is being discussed. I can't square the two. Where do they go? I mean, when they're trying to explain to you, where will these people go? Well, I, I mean, we don't, they, we don't have the, the uh, luxury of being able to talk to whoever comes up with these, these crazy ideas. Perhaps they're, they're thinking that these individuals will go home to some family. I'm here to tell you that most of these Medicaid residents do not have families mm-hmm. or they do not have families that can afford to take them in. They do not have families that can provide them the support and health systems that we provide them. So I can only conclude that there would be a lot of homelessness. There would be a lot of suffering, a lot of premature deaths. There's the support systems that we provide would not exist for the vast majority of these people. I don't know what they do. I know working with homeless people, the hardiest, youngest of them struggle. I cannot imagine the elderly having to figure out how to live on the streets. It just breaks my heart. This whole thing is unthinkable. 
that's why we have taken the lead individually as a company to get the, this word out early rather than waiting for a process to start and because we do not want that process to even gain any momentum at all. I have so many questions, but with all of this said, what is the next thing that you would want to say to us? What we want to do is spread the word to every interested party we can. We have not taken the position to share this with our residents because we think it would be too upsetting right now if it were to appear that this would become a reality at some point. We'd have to tell our residents and have to get their advocates involved. For now, what we'd like to do is using our connections, using the media, we just want to, we want people to understand what's being proposed. We want people to speak up to their representatives. We want, we want people to, um, you know, call the governor, whatever can be done to, um, to stop this type of thinking, even if we have to cut the budget, the amount that they're spending to make it balanced for the next biennium, there should be certain things that are that are untouchable. Yeah. And this is one of them. And that's the message that needs to be to to get out. This is just not like cutting any old any old state bureaucratic department here. This is real people. These are real lives. Exactly. They currently have these benefits and we there shouldn't be any cuts at all. They should not have to worry um, about where they're living. or No, they shouldn't have to worry about it. Plus, they're also proposing to cut our rates as well on top of this crazy thing. Mm-hmm. And um, they've been, the state has been either not giving us rate increases or reducing our rates for about 12 years now. We're about 25% behind the rate of inflation, as, as, as some have calculated. Mm-hmm. If at all, we should be getting rate increases of, sizable portions so that we can we can continue to invest in caring for these people, continuing to invest in, in additional staff, et cetera. Well, that's the message I'd like to get out. Somebody's hearing this and they're like, what can I do? You said get in touch with the governor. How, how does somebody go about that? I'm just thinking if somebody doesn't really know, where do they find the information and, and the, the best way to approach and say what they want to say? Well, you know, I wasn't ready for that question. <laughs> uh, you can contact your state senator. You can contact your state member of the House. You can go to Washington.gov and probably find ways to contact all of your representatives and contact the governor themselves or directly. I know that that exists. And you can tell family and friends. Yeah. You, can, you can spread the word through all of your networks. If you have a family member that's going to be affected by what I just described, you can call the media directly and advocate on behalf of them and on behalf of your family mm-hmm. and see if you can't get the, your local newspaper to write an article. Uh, see if you can't, can't get the TV stations or, or the uh, radio stations that to pick up and uh, carry this issue so that we can get maximum pressure. We're doing this now because we believe that it needs to be stopped quickly and it needs to be, and a lot of this pressure needs to be put on before the November election. 
So they want to contact their senator representative, contact media, especially if they know of somebody that's going to be affected by this. Now, when you contact senators or that type of thing, I know for for me, if something's too wordy, I might not take it on. So is there like, say, don't do the cuts. I have somebody. I mean, what's the best? I know you probably weren't prepared, but if, if you were off the cuff, what would be the best way for me to put in an email or a letter? Simply the opening statement that DSHS is proposing to, to severely cut the eligibility for Medicaid-eligible residents in nursing homes, assisted living, and other care settings. There can be no cuts in eligibility whatsoever to any of our seniors. Okay. There's no compromise here. Good. You know, there's no saying, well, we started with 38%, but we'll go 10%. I can tell you right now, 10% would wipe out just as many of the people that, that are covered by the 38%. Most of them, as I explained to you earlier, the distribution of numbers, most of them fall in the four lowest eligibility categories anyways, because the assessment and payment system is designed to do that. So uh, a 38% cut, which sounds terrible, is really a 90 to 95% cut in terms of real numbers. That's how bad it is. So we cannot tolerate any eligibility cut. And in fact, the industry should get compensation increases. Absolutely. You know, I find it's so ironic. There was a, there was a expose done by the Seattle Times about a week ago about the, the low staffing level rates in nursing homes. <laughs> Hello. And they blame it on, it's, it's all tilted towards of uh, whatsoever on the fact that 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 uh, over time they've had their rate reimbursement cut from the Medicaid program, and they they nursing homes take care of a high percentage of Medicaid. Right. And in this latest proposal, they're pre- they're proposing to take out thirty percent eligibility for nursing homes. <sighs> so I mean, you know, the, we've got to get the newspapers focused on. Uh, well, what what they focused on was what was perceived a as an understaffed staffing problem in nursing homes, and they did mention that most of the nursing homes take a very very high percentage of Medicaid, and they also they did quote our health trade association as saying, well, you know, one of the problems is is that Medicaid rates have fallen so severely behind the true cost of being able to care for these residents, anywhere from 25 to 30% over, say, a period of 10 years, that these providers are trying their best to care for these people with the resources that they're being given. So the focus really by the Times was on what's wrong with a for-profit provider. But the reality of it is they should be focused on what's wrong with the state not paying an adequate reimbursement so that the provider could perhaps increase staffing, number one. And now when you add this eligibility proposal to it, just imagine how much worse that would make the for-profit industry, their ability to stay in business. This, this would devastate the nursing home world. There would be closures. This would devastate my world Mm-hmm. There would be closures of our buildings. It would have a rippling effect that would, would take decades to reverse. Capital would flee. You wouldn't be able to get a loan for this 
for these businesses. They're proposing things that would be literally suicidal for the business. And most, and most, most importantly, for these individuals that are affected by this, not just the my business or anybody else's business. But, I, you know, that's just the reality of things that needs to be understood, too. Right. If you hurt these people, that's awful. Right. But then you're gonna then you're gonna damage the the ability for anybody to have access in the future. Right. So we're looking at not only now and next July, well, actually the election now, but the long term ramifications are going to just continue to build. Yeah, they're enormous. That's why I, I said earlier that this twelve thousand figure that they've kind come up with is is understated in the, its initial impact and in its long term, and it does not project the long-term impact on as years pass and we have more people as, as the as the elderly population grows that we all know all the demographics show us that, that the real problem the real problem is or will become this eligibility reduction and the real problem is we're not paid enough in the first place and so if not for the for-profit providers, there would be no industry. Mm. You can only squeeze them so much. So the focus needs to be placed on what the real problem is. Mm-hmm. And it's not the for-profit providers, frankly. Right. So we're looking at not only now and next July, well, actually the election now, but the long-term ramifications are going to just continue to build even worse. Yeah, they're enormous. I mean, they they are. That's why I, I said earlier that this twelve thousand figure that they've kind of come up with is is understated in the, its initial impact and in its long term, and it does not project the long term impact on as years pass and we have more people as as the as the elderly population grows that we all know the demographics show the elderly population needing. Assisted living services will probably grow anywhere between 25 to 35 percent over the next decade. So there's just going to be more people needing services. Right. going to be a lack of access. Right. And we've all heard the statistics on nursing home and the amount of visitors they do get is very minimal. So you're looking at all these people that are hardly getting any visitors. You can't count that somebody's going to be there to take take care of them. Yeah, they, no one knows. I, I know. I know, sort of anecdotally, because uh, of what I hear from my my uh, communities that take care of Medicaid. That often these people have no families, mm-hmm. uh, or families are maybe uh, in another state, or right. their families are their broken families, or their families with no resources. They don't get a lot of visitors. Frankly, you're very you're actually pretty correct about that. So we are their support system, mm-hmm. and I don't know how that gets replaced. Well, so many thoughts and questions, but we are running out of time. I just I have two questions. The first one is, any last thoughts, anything we've missed on this? I will reiterate that we as a community of people, of taxpayers, as citizens of a state, we need to make a decision about what our high priorities are. And those should be first and foremost, protecting our elderly and protecting our elderly that need financial assistance like those on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. That needs to be an untouchable portion of the budget. Mm -hmm. 
we can find savings in a lot of other places that are not going to affect these very vulnerable people. We shouldn't even be considering this as a way to balance the budget. How much are they going to save by doing this? They're going to save, for my business, they're going to save a fraction of one-tenth of one percent of the biennial, biennial budget level. Mm. It, is, it is almost a negligible rounding error, and yet they're considering it. We all know how much waste exists in, in government. We all know how much fraudulent unemployment benefits were paid out in the last four or five months. Right from Nigerian hackers, hmm. and yet we're going to throw, we're going to try to save less than one-tenth of one percent of the budget by displacing at least 12,000 Medicaid seniors. Does not make any sense. My last question, and I hate it that we're out of time, but on the show notes, I am definitely going to kind of take what you said and give a link to the government page so they can contact who they need to. But what brought you to this business? I had a lot of experience early on in my career. I worked for a major national accounting firm, and my clients ended up being in the healthcare business. One of my big clients was the largest skilled nursing facility operator in the country. During that period of time, I learned quite a bit about this business that they were looking at for the future, which was assisted living. And ultimately, I liked the idea of starting my own company, which I did. I liked the idea of working with seniors. So I felt like it had more meaning than something else. And that's what got me uh, into the business ultimately. I love it that you saw the need and you wanted to fill it. Right. And I started out, my initial focus was working with middle to low income residents and finding communities that, that I could acquire that weren't being run very well, very efficiently, but were serving that part of the population. I, I sold to another group, stayed with that group, and we've grown since. We've still made a commitment to keeping several of our primary Medicaid buildings so that we could have a kind of a wide offering uh, within the geographic areas that we conduct our business. It's been our mission to keep that going and keep that alive while we have expanded our, our company. We have 16 communities today and they serve a wide variety of income levels and a wide variety of care needs. But we've maintained our connection with Medicaid buildings. Many of our private pay buildings take Medicaid. We're the only provider in Washington that will allow residents to spend down their resources and not have to move without restriction. So, for example, a lot of, let's say, middle-income individuals might have three or four years' worth of funds in order to pay for private pay. We make a guarantee that they can convert to Medicaid after their resources are exhausted. We're the only company that I know that does that without restriction, without limiting the number of beds or that sort of thing. And that's a commitment we've made from the very beginning that we believe in, that makes us different than any of our competitors. And this proposal would probably prevent us from being able to do that for the middle income market. Many of the people that would spend down their private resources and convert to Medicaid would not be eligible to convert to Medicaid. You can see the cascading effect this would have. Exactly. And that's why I asked what brought you to this business, because one thing I know in colleges, any focus on elder care or senior care 
is not the most popular because I have a friend that has a, its ministry called Generational Compassion, just teaching people how to just go volunteer at the nursing home, read a book, bring them a glass of water. But she had shared with me that people are less and less likely to want to work with the elderly. And so there's that, there's the no visitors. And now it's like putting on top of it. Now you want to cut their funding. Yeah, it's um, it's a, it takes a special individual to work in one of our communities, yet I don't think as a, as a culture we celebrate the elderly like other cultures do. I think people generally are, are not attracted to, to the industry because they just don't want to look at what could happen to uh, them. the end of life looks like. Nevertheless, we do find people who are attracted to it. It has become even more difficult to work in our industry with covid with Mm -hmm. all of the restrictions that we have currently that we have to comply with, with the restrictions on visitors. The residents are very anxious. They're very upset. Mm -hmm. They don't understand it. And Mm -hmm. many of them say, hey, I I don't really care. I'll take the risk. Just let me have a normal life here. I'm at the end of my life. And we have to tell them, no, we can't do that by (laughs) law. And the same thing goes with families. Puts a lot more stress on our staff in an already stressful business. I hope I do not have to take the step of getting my residents that are on Medicaid involved in this fight. But I feel like at some point, if it keeps moving towards a point where it might happen, I'll have to get them involved just so that we can have the voices of the people that are impacted heard. Anything you can do to help us on this would be greatly appreciated. It is really meaningful cost. Carepartnersliving.com is our website. The, The best email address to use is info at carepartnersliving.com. Thank you so much, Joe. I just really appreciate this. Thank you so much for listening. I just want to reiterate that's going to be at least 12,000 seniors on Medicaid that will be displaced. They want to reduce the DSHS, want to reduce the Medicaid eligibility for 30% of seniors in skilled nursing facilities, 38% of seniors in assisted living, and 22% of seniors needing specialized dementia care in other residential settings. For more information, go to carepartners.com. Thanks so much for listening. I know I've learned something new today. I really hope you have. Join us again next week when we continue to talk to people that are making a difference.